Okay, this morning we thought we'd do a little something different. Every once in a while, it's good to hear a testimony. So this morning, I have asked, uh, we need a mic up here, by the way, guys. Uh, I've asked Mason Sorensen to come and uh, give his testimony this morning. He's a young uh, man who's going, he just graduated, going away to school. So, so uh, Mason, wherever you're at, come on up. We're trying to find you a mic. Here we go. Okay, we're trying to figure out how to turn this on, Mason. I think I got it. Got it. There you go. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Mason Sorensen. Um, I'm going to Central Washington this year for school. And today I'd like to share my testimony. So my life before Christ was not the, uh, not the best. I was raised in a single mother household, no father. And every time I would see my father, he'd be physically and mentally abusive. Um, I also had my mom's ex-boyfriend, which I thought would help, but he also was the same way. I'd go home, he'd physically and mentally abuse me, and just as a six-year-old, it was pretty bad to experience. So, as I started growing up, thinking that maybe I'd find friends at school, it didn't really happen. I was bullied throughout school, through elementary, through so and through middle school, up until my sophomore year. But during that time, I found one person that I could talk to. That was my aunt. She was always there for me because she would pick me up from school and take me to school. And there was a, a day in eighth grade on March 4th when a fatal car accident killed her. My best friend, the closest person I talked to, died. I felt lost. I gained 30 pounds in two weeks and I was bullied for it throughout high school. It was pretty bad. And I thought my mom would be there for me, but she kind of just pushed me away. It what it felt like because she had to take on the responsibility of another child, my aunt's late son. He's about four years old. We started taking over him. We eventually adopted him. And I didn't really have any friends, so one night, I was playing on my Xbox with a couple of people who I thought were my closest friends. I was bullied that night. I was told to kill myself, all these other things. I had enough of it, so I shut, shut it off, grabbed a bottle of pills, and sat there wanting to, end, it, wanting to ever, end everything. But I heard a voice saying, why? Why now? Your life isn't over. You got things to go for. So I closed the pill bottle, laid in bed, went to sleep. I had a dream that night of me sitting in a chair. A man came up to me in robes, no face, just a white robe, and said to me, what do you want to do? I said, I want to be great. I want to do great things for this world. And he said, follow me, take my hand, and I'll show you the way. I woke up the next day. My mom told me, let's go to church. I said, okay. I was skeptical, skeptical about it. Didn't really know what it was about. So we went. That day, Pastor Doug had a very, a message that really hit me. It was talking about depression and other things, how God could change that. If you follow him, 
take his hand, and he'll show you. So I kept going to church, and I found my love for the gym sophomore year. So I thought that would help. I bettered myself, but I was just going to church and just going through the motions. I wasn't really knowing exactly what to do and wasn't really the biggest follower, but I just went. And I wanted someone, I wanted some, to find someone that would help me with pushing me towards Christ. And I thought I did. I met this girl going into senior year, and I th- she's Christian, or so I thought. And she would go to church, but she was also kind of just there. And, you know, I thought she would push me closer, but she, she brought me away from it. And I was going through more depression during that time. And towards the end of our relationship, one of my closest friends, McKenna Paris, helped me with that. She asked me to come here to a get-together thing at this church. And I said, okay, I'll go. I'll see what it's about. And it was, I really liked it. And I've been going to it ever since. This was our Bible study and a rendezvous thing. I've been going to it, and I've really liked it. I ended up breaking up with my ex, and my life's been better ever since. I felt happier. So I've been going to church every day, and it's just been changing my life. And recently, I was in the hospital for about five weeks on end, and I had what we thought were stroke symptoms. I thought that my day was about to come. I was very scared. My mom and I in the hospital, devastated. I was laying in the hospital bed, didn't know what was going to happen, didn't know if I was going to survive the night. But I felt this strong presence over me, something I never felt in my life before. A man saying, I can protect you. And that's what he did. Though this happened multiple times over the course of five weeks, It wasn't anything bad. It wasn't a stroke. It wasn't anything like that. So I thank God for that. This just shows that God can work in mysterious ways. Sometimes things that you don't even even realize. He'll show you lessons in ways that only you'll understand. And I thank God for that. I thank God for my life and always being with me to this day. This is why I'll stay a follower with Christ no matter what. I will let his hand, I will grab his hand and always go with him. That will be my protector. So I thank you guys for listening to my testimony today. Let's pray over Mason. We're going to believe God's going to use him over at Central. Lord, we thank you for this young man. We thank you for the change that you've made in his life. We thank you, Lord, that when everything looked bleak and dark, you showed up in his life through dreams, through visions. And we ask you now, Lord, to invade central Washington with this young man. Keep him strong. Give him a voice. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> Pretty awesome. I love seeing people's lives changed by the touch of God's glory, don't you? Okay, now, just like he changed Mason's life, he can change your life as well. All right, you ready to do a Bible study? Because that's what we're doing in this series called Empowered 
to last, uh, empowered to live in the last days. Today I want to talk to you about the promise and the problem of Christ's return. That's why I'm calling it a Bible study. So let's lift up our Bibles, smartphones, iPhones, uh, our iPads, whatever you got your Bible on. And let's make our prayer declaration loud and clear. Lift them up. Let's say this with me. This is my Bible. God's holy word. This book is alive and it's powerful. I read other books, but this is the only book that reads me. There are many opinions, but this is the only opinion that counts. Today, I declare by faith, I can do all it says I can do. I can be all it says I can be, and I can have all it says I can have. Today, I ask the Lord Jesus, the living word, to take his written word and personalize it for my life so I can leave here changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now, there are many events that can happen in our world today that can get our attention, like Chinese balloons, spy balloons flying over different areas of our country, or 11 Chinese and Russian warships gathering off the coast of Alaska and the Aleutian Islands and international waters. That just happened this last week, by the way. And the U.S. responding with four Navy destroyers and some military planes. And when they showed up, they all dispersed, and thank God they did, and went their separate ways. Have you ever heard of the Doomsday Clock? If you have, raise your hand. Well, the Doomsday Clock has been around since 1947, or 76 years. And this is something that is run by a group of atomic scientists. And this clock tells us how close we are to ending the world by nuclear war. The clock is set forward or backward depending on how close we are to ending the world. With all that is going on with Russia, China, and the U.S., recently they have set the clock at 90 seconds until midnight or doomsday. It's never been that close before in 76 years. So even non-believers can see how dangerous things are right now. Now, you need to know God graciously tells us just enough without telling us too much because, frankly, there are some things about your future and my future we don't really want to know, all right? There was this guy walking along the beach and found a magic lamp and rubbed it, and out came the genie, and the genie says, you get the two wishes were already granted to the previous owner. There's only one left, so make it a good one. And the man says, well, I'd like a copy of the stock page one year from now. So the genie says, no problem. And poof, the paper shows up in his hand and poof, the genie's gone. The guy was so excited because now he knew he could invest with great confidence and thought, I'll make a fortune. As he was reading the paper, another page slipped out of that paper and it was full of columns and he picked it up and all of a sudden this one column got his attention. It had a name on it. It was his, and it was his obituary. So, knowing the future is exciting until it's not. That's what I'm trying to say. All right. Matthew 24 has some exciting things about the future and some not so exciting things about the future. Now, 
This is what you need to know about what's coming. God has got big plans. It's not random. It's straightforward. But, and many of us would like uh, to, to know it. So it causes curiosity to arise in many of us so we can plan as best we can. Some of you are, are real planners. You want to know the future so you can make a plan. And that's why I love living in Grace Harbor. Some of you have been stocking up food for years. Some of you have been stocking up water for years. Some of you have enough ammo and guns for a small army. Which means in case things get bad, I know which homes I'm going to. But you need to know, it will do you no good if they bomb your neck of the woods. Just saying. (laughs) When we see this huge blast, oh, I know that house. Okay. So let me make this statement. Jesus promised to return at any moment and told us to be ready. And he also said, certain signs must happen first. So I have three points today that I want to give you from Matthew 24. The promise, the problem, and hopefully kind of a solution. All right? So here we go. Matthew 24, beginning in verse 30, it's the, this is the promise of his return. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And then they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Therefore, you also, verse 44, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So this is pretty exciting news, I think. Ever since Jesus came to earth, he promised he would be coming back a second time. Now, <clears throat> Matthew 24 and 25 are Jesus' answers to three questions that came in the beginning of this chapter of 24 in verse 3. I'm not going to read the, the verse, but these are kind of what they said. They came to him privately and they said, when are all these things going to be and uh, when will be the sign of your coming and, and uh, when will be the end of the age? It's a threefold question. And so... These are three questions. Jesus answers the last two, but not really the first one. So let's clear my throat. throat) You guys are awesome. I love it. All right. Then, uh, so what happens is he, uh, these disciples were Jews. You need to know this. They had a different view of the end times. They were not thinking Jesus is leaving and coming back. Their theology had a mindset that Jesus would come in power, overthrow the Romans, and set up his earthly kingdom. And what they wanted to do is they want to know how to plan what their part was in it, all right? So they had a mindset that before this Messiah could show up, there had to be terrible turmoil on the earth, which they were seeing through the Roman Empire uh, occupied. Let's clear it again. I need that I need that hot water. Yes, I've had sugar, I've had dairy. My wife probably said to me yesterday, don't do that. Yes. I'm living dangerously is right. Okay. So they had this mindset there has to be turmoil, and that came through the Roman government. 
Secondly, they believed that during the turmoil, an Elijah-like forerunner would come and announce the Messiah. And they saw that fulfilled in John the Baptist. Thirdly, they believed the Messiah would appear and defeat Israel's enemies and establish uh, his kingdom. And lastly, they believed all the Jews that had been scattered around the world would return to Israel and the nation would be restored and enjoy a time of peace. So the disciples believed they were in phase three. Turmoil had come, Elijah had come, uh, the Messiah has come. And also a couple of days before this, Jesus had entered into Jerusalem riding a donkey and they were all shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And the disciples thought to themselves, this, this is our time, this is great. Knock the snot out of the Romans, out of the Romans and we'll take over. And so they have this mindset to be challenged just a few days later as they go to an upper room, have a last supper together, and Jesus tells them, I'm going to die. And then he says, I will be uh, resurrected and leave. And then I will come back at some point. Now, how many of that would blow your theology? And so they're looking at him like a deer in the headlights, and they're trying to re- he's trying to reassure them, everything's going to be okay, guys. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'm coming back to take you with me. And there are a lot of, a ver- a lot of verses that reference Jesus' sudden coming back again. I'm going to give you a few of them. Matthew 25, 13. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Philippians 3.20, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior. Titus 2, uh, 12 through 13, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our uh, great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. James, 7 through, James 5, 7 through 9. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also, be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at a hand. I like this next verse. Do not grumble against each other. Brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So one of the last things that are going to happen before Jesus returns is there's a lot of grumbling and complaining. 1 Peter 4, 7. But the end of all times is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. I don't have to tell you about a thief. You don't expect him. 1 John 2.18. Little children, it is the last hour as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. Then in the book of Revelation, six times Jesus says, Behold, I am coming quickly. And finally, at the end of Revelation, John says, at the end of the the book, verse 20, surely I am coming quickly, amen, even so come Lord Jesus. So this is known as the doctrine of the imminent return of Jesus Christ, which means 
He can come at any moment. Also, one in every 25 verses in the New Testament tell us about the return of Christ, and one in 50 tell us to be ready for it. So we, we have this promise, and, you, and we know he's coming back any moment. And I'll tell you why I believe that in a bit. But here's number two, the problem. In this chapter, there are, uh, there are a whole set of verses that exist that seem to indicate Jesus cannot return unless certain signs take place. So let me give you those signs quickly. Six signs that must happen. Number one, deception. Okay, look at verse four as Jesus begins to answer uh, their question from verse three. It says, and Jesus answered, said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. Why? For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Then go down to verse 11. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. So deception is the first sign that must take place. And let me just say, Deception is not a new thing. It's been happening since the Garden of Eden. And uh, deception has been in every single era of history and one of, its, one of our enemy's greatest weapons. So deception simply means to believe a lie as truth. Let me say that again. To believe a lie as truth. And it comes through continuous exposure to the lie that eventually people accept as truth. Now, this is not on your notes, but I'm going to give you six stages of deception. The first stage is the shocker stage. This is like saying, uh, I remember back in my day, uh, nobody believed in abortion. And all of a sudden, abortion should be allowed. It should be legal. And everybody was in shock. You could say the same thing if I said today, I think bestiality ought to be legalized. Yeah, absolutely not. But... What happens is we then have the shocker stage when you hear it. Then the next stage is the outrage stage. This is setting the, the, the agenda and, and not backing down that, that it's normal. And there's only a few of them that do it. And so there's all this arguing that goes back and forth called the outrage stage. Then it moves into the discuss, discussion stage. Now, let me just say this. And once you start discussing it, It's only a matter of time where you reach the tolerance stage. This is where you say, well, I don't agree with it, but we need to love everybody. And then it moves into the acceptance stage. Maybe maybe they were born that way. Folks, we were all born in sin. I told this to the men yesterday. We had a great men's gathering. We were all born in sin. That's why you need to be born again. That's why change, well, left to myself, I'd be a drunk, uh, an adulterer, a fornicator, and who knows what else, but with Jesus Christ, help me come to know him as my Lord and Savior, he gave me a new nature, all right? Then after the acceptance stage comes the uh, veneration or respect stage, the truth stage. What was wrong is now right, and if you don't believe it, you're a bigot, prejudiced, and a racist. And we're in the last days where this deception will come on the whole earth 
that fills the whole earth, and it's a spirit of deception. It's also called Satan's masterpiece and will ultimately be fulfilled through the Antichrist. This leader will head a confederation of nations. Jesus himself predicted this in John 5, where he says, I have come in my Father's name, and you did not receive me, but another will come in, my own, in his own name, and you will receive him. The Antichrist is called by many other names, like the man of sin, the lawless one, the beast, uh, the little horn, the prince that shall come, the willful king, the idle shepherd. So he's the ultimate deceiver, and he's the ultimate wolf in sheep's clothing. The next sign that must follow is tribulation. Now, nobody likes that, and I hear this all the time. Christians won't suffer tribulation. Don't count on it, folks. Did you know we have more tribulation in the history of the world towards Christians right now in the last 50 years than has ever been in the history of on the earth? There are more people being martyred for Christ. So Matthew 24, 7 uh, through 12 say this, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. By the way, uh, over 6% of our farmland is now owned by China. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended. They will betray one another. And we saw this just in COVID. And that's nothing that's coming, I'm telling you. And they will hate one another. And then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold or wax cold. And that, you know what that means? It's like having a, a spoon of hot soup and it's called, a, it, it's a gentle breeze. You just blow on it to cool it off. And that's what happens to many Christians and they don't even know, know that the enemy is blowing on their lives to uh, cause them to grow cold like a blowing, hot, blowing on a hot soup in a spoon. Okay, verse 21. For there will be great tribulation. And notice, there will be great tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time. So uh, uh, no, nor, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Now, folks, this is not a bad day. <laughs> this, is, this is not like a bad day taking a stand for Jesus and somebody rejected you. This is the great tribulation. So let me get a little more technical. It is believed by theologians, many theologians, that verses 4 through 14 deal with the first three and a half years of this seven-year tribulation. And that verses 15 onward deal with the second half of this tribulation, which is known as the great tribulation. Now, there have been dark ages in the past, and uh, this will be the darkest age to ever come on the earth. There were tough times in the past, and now we are dealing with the toughest time. So if you thought the pandemic was hard, uh, like I said earlier, you haven't seen nothing yet, all right? Now, if you Google the worst times in history, you'll get a list uh, of about six or seven things. Here's what they say. World War I, 
was number one. Number, World War II was number two. Uh, the Holocaust, number three. The Black Plague of Europe, number four. The nuclear bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And then the transatlantic slave trade. Those are the six top that, that Google gave me that of the worst things that have happened in the history of the world. All of those are nothing to compared to what's coming in the days ahead. And if you read the book of Revelation, you will see judgments that come that are progressive and increasingly intense. So deception and tribulation must happen. Then number three, devastation. Look at verse 29. It says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And if you, uh, if you were to go to the book of Revelation where the tribulation begins, and I believe it starts in Revelation 6, John sees in his vision this weird stampede of four horses which are called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And when you read it, it feels like you're watching a Western on, on, on drugs. That's what it's, I haven't had any, but that's what I read. All right. Now, these four horsemen bring with them a short time of peace, but then war, famine, and death. Revelation says fire and hail from the sky. Waters of the earth are polluted and all green plants are burned up, followed by locusts from the pit of hell, which are like demons that have the power to torture humans for five straight months. Then Revelation 16 says, bold judgments of sores, sun-scorched bodies, and hailstones up to 75 pounds falling to the earth. Now that's devastation, just so you know. Okay, so now, now let me give you the fourth sign. The fourth sign is proclamation, Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So many believe Jesus can't come back until the whole world hears the gospel from the church. And it is true, we need to do our part. Part, But you need to read to the end of the book to understand this because uh, if you stop right there, you would think the church has to do all of this and there's thousands of people groups that have not been reached, so we have plenty of time. And in Revelation 11, it talks about two witnesses that come to Jerusalem and uh, talks about their activities are seen by everyone uh, on the earth, which means you cannot do that without satellite TV and, and uh, phones and electronics that we have now. And also during that time will come a gospel preaching angel. And you probably don't know this, but it tells us this in Revelations 14:6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel to do what with? To preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. So when you put these two verses together, then it makes sense. In other words, God's going to do something supernatural to make sure every person 
on the earth. Here's the good news of Jesus. And he also tells us we can't do it on our own, so he's sending an angel to help us get the job done. Well, you can think what you want, but it says it right there. All right. So what I'm trying to say is that still leaves room that Jesus can come at any time. Okay, number, number five, the fifth sign is abomination. That means something that is loathing and detestable. So verse 15 through 20 say this. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, uh, let him understand. So in other words, Jesus is assuming some are going to read and not get it, not understand it. So he's saying, make sure you understand it. Search it out. And Jesus says this because he knows some won't understand. Then, verse 16, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, notice, notice this. Nothing is said about Grace Harbor or the Olympics or Seattle, Los Angeles, or the United States. It goes on to say this in verse 17. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. Now, you need to know that this is a very Judeo-centric prediction where all this takes place. In Daniel 9, which Jesus alludes to, this Antichrist makes a peace deal with Israel for seven years. And in the middle of it, and three and a half years into it, he breaks the deal and sets up some kind of an abomination in the temple. So we wonder what this could be. And Paul sheds a little light on it in 2 Thessalonians 2, describing the man of sin. In verses uh, 3 and 4, he says this, The man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of, of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object, object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So this guy is going to come to the temple in Jerusalem, break the covenant he makes with Israel to get their trust, and then sets himself up as the one true God. So it was spoken up by Daniel. It was spoken up by Jesus. It was spoken up by Paul. And it's also predicted by John in Revelation. Okay, here's the last sign. Salvation. Verses uh, 22 through 24. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh will be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to, to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Now, when you read the word elect, Jesus could be talking, I just, I want you to, this is all speculation, nobody knows for sure, but some people think they do, and uh, I just want you to know, Jesus could be talking to Jewish believers who are alive at this time and not the church, and the reason that is a possibility is because Paul talks about it in uh, three chapters in Romans where he says God sidelined the Jewish believers for our salvation. So Romans 11, 12, and the message say, now if they're leaving, talking about uh, the Jewish people leaving, uh, denying Christ, 
this triggered worldwide coming of non-Jewish outsiders, meaning us, to God's kingdom. Just imagine the effect of their coming back. What's a great homecoming? And then he continues in verse 25 and 26. I want to lay all this out on the table clearly as I, as I can, friends. This is complicated. It would be easy to misinterpret what's going on and arrogantly assume your royalty and they're just rabble. In other words, the church is calling the Jewish people rabble. Out of their ears for good. So, but that's not it, not it at all. This hardness on the part of the insider Israel towards God's, toward God, toward God is temporary. Its effect is to open things up to all the outsiders so that we all end up or end with a full house. In other words, Jew and Gentile come together uh, before the Lord. Verse 26, before it's all over, there will be a complete Israel as it is written, a champion will stride down from the mountain of Zion. He will clean house in Jacob. In other words, we're all going to get invited into this wedding. So Revelation tells us there will be these two witnesses by God standing in, uh, sent by God standing in Jerusalem. There will be an angel from heaven flying around sharing the gospel with all the millions that are left and thousands of Jews from every tribe will declare Jesus as their Lord and Messiah. And millions from every continent will declare Jesus is their Lord and their Messiah. And this will result in the greatest revival that is yet to come in the worst of times. So, obviously, we have a promise of the second coming. We have a problem between Jew and Gentile. And here's the solution or a, some of the solutions. All right? How do we solve it? One solution is Jesus can't come at any moment. Uh, that's what some people say. But if that were true, it would nullify the commands to be ready at any moment. So I don't believe Jesus would tell us to be ready at any moment at his coming if it can't happen. Now, another solution is all these scriptures were filled in early church history during the rule of the Roman Empire. And uh, they, they explain it this way by saying the gospel went sort of went everywhere and there was persecution during that time and you could say that some of the Caesars were actually anti-Christ and some Jews were saved. And that's fine. They call it a preterist position, which means it was fulfilled in the past. Some far, go as far as to say that Jesus already came back a second time. R.C. Sproul, who I greatly respect, but he's a Reformed theologian and Presbyterian pastor who passed away several years ago, but he started this teaching and said it was all fulfilled in 70 AD, which uh, when the temple was destroyed. But let me just say this. I don't buy into it because too many things can, have not been fulfilled, and uh, I think there's still much more to come. So here's my solution, uh, as best as I can come up where I'm at right now, a two-stage coming. And that is the first stage is a signless event when he comes for his church, and we are to be ready at any time. This is where Jesus comes for his church, not to the earth, but in the atmosphere, and then uh, seven years later or three and a half year, years later, depending on if you are a pre-tribber or you're a post-tribber, mid-tribber, whatever. All right. And some of you don't even know what I'm talking about, but I'm just telling you. That. All right. So the set, stage two then 
So he comes to get his church, and then stage two takes place. He comes back with his church to the earth, and that is the event that is preceded by all these signs. All right? So rapture versus return. Let me just give you some things about the rapture. Jesus can come for his, comes for his church. Jesus comes in the air. We meet up there in the air. All those that are asleep. By the way, it never says Christians die. It says we sleep, all right? At the rapture, it is an event that is unpredictable. No man knows the date or the hour, which I want you to know he can still come at any moment, all right? So it's sudden in the twinkling of an eye. Do you know what a twinkle is? One thousandth of a second. I've had people say to me, well, I'll just accept Jesus when at the rapture. When you just say, Lord Jesus, your thousandth of a second is gone. You won't have time to repent. All right? So do it today. All right. Now, we look forward to this. Uh, another thing is we are to look forward to his return for his bride. We are to be ready. And once that occurs, then these signs will come. Jesus comes. This is a return. Jesus comes with his church in Revelation 19. Jesus comes from heaven through the atmosphere to the earth. And it is highly predictable because once you see the Antichrist set himself up in the temple, you know it's just a short time away. So in conclusion this morning, the good news this morning is Jesus is coming back at any moment. The bad news is Jesus is coming back at any moment, all right? And both are exciting and yet excruciating and it depends on who you are and where you are with Jesus. Jesus said, these things, when these things begin to happen, lift up your eyes because your redemption draws near. So he can come at any moment, and as believers, we have been empowered to make a difference to a lost world until he comes back. So if you're not a believer today, how do you overcome and prepare, prepare for, for what's ahead? Revelation 12:11 says, and they overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And get this last line. And they loved not their lives unto death. In other words, they loved Jesus more than their life because they realized this is a temporary place. <clears throat> so to get ready, you have to have a come to Jesus moment in your life. And then Matthew 25, which we're not going to probably get into in this series, but Matthew 25, if you read it through, it tells you, don't let your lamp go out. Keep your light burning. Keep the oil strong. And then Matthew 25 also tells us to be faithful servants with the gifts that he's given us to extend his kingdom. So don't live for yourself. Make sure everything you do is you're living for the kingdom of God so that you can extend it for his glory. Let's stand. How many are confused? Raise your hand. Okay, if you're confused, talk to uh, somebody else. No. <laughs> Lois and I have been talking about this for weeks, and I think we both just look at it and go, how is God going to, you know, some, some are pre-trib. That means we believe we're going to get taken up before any tribulation comes. But to me, that, that doesn't really hold water with China, China and Russian Christians who have been martyred for their lives and those in, in the Middle East. So that's just my thoughts. But uh, if, if me, I tend, to li- I tend tend to lean towards 
in the middle of the tribulation will be taken up. That's, I believe there has to be some perfecting of the church. How many know we're a lukewarm church in many ways? So we need to be, uh, go through some pressure, go through some heat, go through some agitation. I don't want to, so I hope I'm in the first elevator. But if not, <laughs> there you go. Okay. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't know where you're at with the Lord, but I know this. Today's your day to have a come-to-Jesus moment. Today's your day to be able to say, you know what, I don't want to live another day living for myself, doing what I want to do, being deceived in any way. I want to give my life to Christ. So if that's you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just a moment. And also I'm talking to prodigals, those who gave your life to Christ at one time but have fallen away. You know today's your day. And if that's you in any way, shape, or form, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand right now. Say, that's me. I need to get right with God. Raise them high. Don't leave here without getting right with God. I see one, two, three, four, five, five hands. All right. Come on. All right. Here's what we do here. We all pray this prayer together because you're coming into the family of God, not just coming to Jesus. You're coming into a family that will help you grow. So say this with me, everybody, by faith. Father, Father God, thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son, Jesus, to die in my place. I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of all my sins, all my mistakes, and all my failures. And I promise to live for you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. All right, come on. All right, if I can have prayer workers come on up. If you gave your life to Christ or need prayer for anything, come up and get some prayer. Let's end with this worship song. You 